Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Well, we're continuing in our series, Keeping Hope Alive. And I have such a burden to preach today. I've taught on this topic before, but I felt it's so of the Lord today to speak again. And in a moment, I'll give you the title. You know, we most often think of plane crashes as unsurvivable events. And it's interesting to discover that plane crashes don't necessarily mean the death of everyone. You kind of imagine from the movies and TV, you know, it's a fireball and no one escapes. But they actually did a survey recently, and I found it fascinating. 96% of all plane crashes were survivable. Apparently, the key to surviving a plane crash strange as it may seem, is to have a plan of action. And in the same survey, they found that 40% of people who died in a plane crash could have survived if they'd had a clear plan of action. You know, the same is true of catastrophic failure in our lives. If we know what to do, if we have a plan of action, we can keep hope alive and a catastrophic failure need not be the end of us. And so today I want to speak to you and give you some keys on how to survive and keep hope alive when you have failed. Keeping hope alive when you have failed. Because all of us fail, but how we respond to it is extremely important. You know, just recently I felt the Lord speak to me so clearly about the condition of people's hearts when they'd gone through personal failure. It was easy to survive maybe things that happened that were out of their control, but when they failed, their response, like people in the Bible, was a negative one. Think of Judas when Judas failed. Judas went out and became suicidal and then took his own life. The apostle Peter When he denied Jesus and failed in his personal life, he went backwards, went back to his old life, went back to fishing. And it's so important for us not to feel that we have failed and that we can't recover, but to keep hope alive. Maybe today you failed in an area and you feel, man, I'll never never recover from this. I, I can't move forward. I've lost hope. Maybe you've been married a few times and the current marriage you're in, you feel... Gosh, it's not working out again. And so you feel a sense that it's hopeless. Maybe you've tried to give up excessive eating and you, you know, because we're in lockdown and you feel, man, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I'm just a failure. Now keep hope alive even when you fail personally. Maybe you're struggling with drink or with drugs, maybe an addiction, maybe a gambling addiction. There's so many areas in which we fail. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's another person that you keep thinking about. You can't get them out of your mind. There's so many areas of personal sin and personal failure, but we have to have the hope that we can get past them, get through them, and that we can have a plan of action with God's grace and with God's help, and we can keep hope alive because God never gives up on us. You know, there's always hope no matter how many times you have failed. Dale Carnegie, the well-known author, said this. He said, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. That's what God calls us to do, to keep on trying, keep on serving him, keep on trusting him when there seems to be no hope at all. I read a humorous story recently about a jockey in England. His name is Robert Chocolate Thornton. And he's a jockey who's fallen off his horse more times than any other jockey in history, 367 times. They spoke to him about it and he said this, I haven't thought about giving up. Well, good for him. 
Good for Robert Thornton that he hadn't given up because in the end, he has had 71 wins. He's ridden 71 winning horses. And in his first year in jockeying, he won the conditional jockey title. It shows you what you can do if you just keep going and you keep hope alive, even though you might fail many, many times. Robert Jordan is a well-known author, and he said this, you don't drown by falling in the water, you drown by staying there. I want to encourage you today to come out of your failure and to revive your hope and to trust God that you can be restored today. And I'm gonna give you five ways of keeping hope alive despite your failure. So let's look at the first thing we need to do. And it's a realization. Number one, realize that we all fail, even God's greats. You know, you often look at great men of God and great Bible figures, and you can think, man, these awesome men and women, I wish I was like that but we don't realize how many times they failed. We seem to ignore that, but God's greats, even in recent church history, God's greats have failed. Think of someone like Martin Luther. We imagine this great theological genius who challenged the Catholic church. He had serious failings and he talks about our failings. And I love what he says. He says, the righteous man always resembles more a loser than a victor. For the Lord lets him be tested and assailed to his utmost limits as gold is tested in a furnace. You see today there is no doubt about it that each one of us will let God down and will fail at some time. We're bound to let the Lord down, we're bound to fail because we are human beings and even if we've achieved great things and we've greatly respected, failure lurks in the human heart and we must not allow our failures to make our lives hopeless. You know, we ask the question often, can God forgive me? Is this one too many times? I've been a Christian for so long. Now, let me just take a moment here to say this. Let's not be lazy and slack saying, oh, well, we can fail. And you know, all God's greats failed. So we just become lazy and slack and we indulge ourselves. There are consequences to failure. God can restore us and give us hope. But if we don't live carefully and wisely, we bring consequences onto ourselves into our lives, into our families. And so we need to look for restoration, but we should not be slack and we should not just be indulgent. Now, here's an interesting thing. Human weakness is such a hard thing to deal with, but you know what it does? It proves to us that we are not God. It's a reminder that we're not in control, that we're not God, and that we can't get things perfectly right. And in that way, we stay dependent on God. We keep looking to Jesus as our savior, and we realize, man, I can do so many things well, I, can do, I come quite close, but ultimately sin is in my life and I need a savior to help me. And we can't fix ourselves, we must look to the one who can fix us. Uh, in a book called uh, Losers Like Us, Daniel Hochhalter talks about the 12 disciples. And I love what he says. He says, I find it interesting that scripture never hides the flaws of the people in God's story. Instead, their faults, mistakes, and sins are preserved in the world's best-selling book for all to read. Even more amazing, these 12 didn't suddenly morph into superheroes the moment they were called. Instead, they stumbled after Jesus, hobbled by faults and sins. They were clueless and self-centered, imperfect and flawed. They were losers in the eyes of the world. They were us. 
we need to be reminded that just like the 12, we will make mistakes and we're not God. And if God's greats made mistakes, then surely we're likely to fail in some way at some time. And so don't be harder on yourself than God. Don't be harder on yourself than some people around you are on you. We all fail. In fact, Jesus came to the disciples in their failure. Remember when they were fishing and they hadn't caught anything all night in Luke chapter five? He comes to them in the midst of their failure and he shows them where to get a catch of fish and they realize he is the Messiah. They are good at what they do. They are in business. They are, they are, they are experienced business people, but sadly in areas they fail and Jesus comes and he meets their need. And here's the thing we need to remember. Don't doubt God's provision because you failed. Well, I can't trust the Lord to meet my financial needs. I can't trust the Lord to work in my marriage. I can't trust the Lord to use me because I failed. No, no matter what, where you fail, you can still trust him. We don't deserve what we get. We receive it by faith. And talking about God's greats, we need to remember that great men like Elijah, they called down fire from heaven, challenged the prophets of Baal, confronted Ahab and Jezebel, and, and, and strode above men yet suffered from depression. The emotions failed him. He, he retreated in defeat when he felt threatened and hid himself in a cave and wanted to die, became suicidal. Maybe you're feeling like that today. You failed, you let God down and now you just wanna hide away. But guess what? The Lord came and spoke to him and restored him. So we all fail, even God's great, but we've gotta keep hope alive today. Number two, the second thing we need to do, the plan of action we need is, is we need to realize this, God knew that we would fail, so he provided for it. Your and my failure is not a surprise to God. God knew that man would fail. In fact, right in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve failed, God provided skins for them, he shed blood, and right there and then he promised a savior. In fact, the Lord knew that as we journey with him as his people, we are prone to failure. Think back to the book of Exodus, where God commanded Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, and he had an ideal place for them, the promised land. And on the way to the promised land where they'd have food and they'd have abundance and they would dig copper out of the hills and they'd build up cities and he spoke about all the wonderful things. Even then he knew, you know what? These people are going to fail in the area of relationships and I need to provide for them before the time. Isn't it wonderful to know that God knows that because of our weakness and failure, he has provided in Christ, in the person of Jesus, a, a sacrifice for our sins and he's made sure that when we fail, there is someone right there who can take away our sin and who we can go to. Now, as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, what the Lord did was he prophesied 40 years before the time and said, this is what you must do when you go into the land. And I want to read this to you because it's important and it has a parallel with what we experience as Christians. The Lord said that even though they would go into their ideal place, they would go to the land that he had promised them, when they got there, they would fail and he would provide for them. And in fact, he said, I want you to set aside six cities of refuge so that when we fail in relationships, there's a place to run to. Notice in Exodus 21, this is way before they got anywhere near the promised land. And he says, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. In other words, if you intentionally murder someone, the death sentence. He says, however, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place, I will 
designate. This is the Lord speaking way before it would happen because he knew what people were like. He knows that we're prone to anger. We're prone to lose our temper, say things we shouldn't say, even uh, feel like hitting someone. And, uh, and he said, I'm gonna provide a place where you can go to. Then finally, when they get into the land in Numbers 35, he instructs uh, Joshua and he says, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. God saw it, he knew it beforehand, and now he's preparing for it right there and then. And so a man who committed unintentional murder uh, could run to the city and hide there and save his life. And as long as the high priest was in the city, he would be safe. Now today we have a city that we can run to. It's called the church, a place where sinners can go when they have failed. And guess who is there? The high priest Jesus, who as long as he lives and he lives forever because he's alive, he will protect us and keep us. And so failure has been provided for way back in the Old Testament, now in the new. We need to realize that God knew we would fail and he provided beforehand. These cities were symbols of hope. You know, even in the Old Testament, the prophets knew that there was always hope despite Israel's failure. Israel failed God miserably. They disobeyed the Lord and he spoke of what would happen when they disobeyed. And Jeremiah chapter 14, the prophet Jeremiah here pointing out Israel's failure. I love, I love what he says. I wanna read you this because it should inspire you with hope. He says, although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name. For we have often rebelled. We have sinned against you. You who are the hope of Israel, its savior in times of distress. And then he says, you are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. You know, Israel was told exactly what to do. God gave them specific laws. And one of the most important was the Sabbath. And he told them that you need to let the land rest. Leviticus chapter 25. Every seven years, give it a break. Don't plant anything, just let what grows come up. And then again, in the eighth year, you can begin to plow and plant. And he said, if you don't do that, then you will pay for it. In Leviticus chapter 26, he says, for every time you don't do it, there's going to be judgment. And um, finally, Israel carries on and carries on and just ignores the Sabbath. They know better than God. They keep planting and they keep harvesting. And finally, the Lord deals with their failure and he sends them into Babylon and he sent them into Babylon because they had failed. Now I wanna read it to you because it's interesting, this, this is something often overlooked in scripture and often we treat a day of rest like it doesn't matter, but you do need to rest because the less you rest, the more likely you are to fail in your health, in your relationships because you're uptight, you're tense, you're not having a mental break, you're not having recreation. And here we read in 2 Chronicles 36, he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, notice this, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So in other words, when you disobey God and you fail, there are consequences. And you can almost think, well, there we go. We're in captivity. And 70 years is a long time. But even though they were in captivity, there was still hope. And failure is never final with God. We can always recover from it. And God has provided for it in 
our lives. I love what it says in Ezra chapter 10. Again, where, where the people turned to God and he brought them out of captivity. Even though they'd been there 70 long years, he brought them out and he started again. And it says under Ezra, while Ezra was praying, confessing, weeping, and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. They were sorry for their sin. And then Shechaniah, the son of Jehael, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women. So they didn't keep the Sabbaths. They married women that they shouldn't have married from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. If there was hope under the old covenant, even though they suffered and were punished for their sins, surely there is hope for us under the new covenant when we fail. And God has provided in Jesus Christ for us to come to him and to say, Lord, I failed, and for him to restore us. Number three, the third thing to do and how to keep hope alive despite personal failure is don't cover up failure and try to fix it yourself. You know, we're so good at hiding our failures. What if people knew? And, and we think it's the right thing to do. But when you cover up failure, it leads to all sorts of personal problems in your life, all sorts of mental and health challenges. And it leads to disgrace ultimately when it comes out. Now in the Bible, we read about King David and how this giant killer, this leader of men, this songwriter, this man of praise and worship, this king who was integrous, had a moment where he saw Bathsheba and he looked out and he desired her and he took her. She was the wife of one of his chief men, loyal, faithful, would have died for David, a man who sacrificed for the cause of the kingdom. But he took Bathsheba, she became pregnant and then he tried to cover up his sin by putting Uriah in the front lines and having him die in a vulnerable place in battle. You see, we try and fix up our sin and we try and cover it up. And it led to all sorts of problems in David's life. The Psalms record that he ended up with health challenges and he tried to fix it himself. But in the end, God said, no, you don't fix it yourself. You come to me and I will fix it. And I have provided a way for you to recover from failure. This is one of God's greats. And, you know, we've recently read that there are some great men over the last few years, serious figures in the Christian world that have failed. And what have they done? They tried to cover it up. And instead, it all came out. And just a reminder here, if God's greats way back failed and God's greats today failed, what is the answer? It's not to try and fix it and to struggle on your own and to hide it away, but to bring it out before God and to get help and to seek those who can help you recover. And uh, maybe today you're feeling uh, ill. Maybe you've got ongoing challenges in your body. It could be because you have not faced the issue and now it's affecting you internally. It leads to depression. People become suicidal. You can have thoughts of hopelessness, self-doubt. There can be shame and guilt and, uh, and, and, and we can be embarrassed by it, but we need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that you've provided for it. You knew I would fail, so you've sent Jesus and I come before you and I admit my sin. And you know, when we read in the scriptures that David came clean, when he stopped trying to cover it up and fix it himself, then God responded. And Psalm 32 and verse five, he, he speaks to you and he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you. In other words, I came to the place after Nathan spoke to me that I decided, okay, I'll come clean. And he says, I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt 
of my sin. In other words, he realizes here, I've made the decision and he writes about it in the Psalms. Now, one of the Psalms where he actually comes to God and we get an inside view of his personal prayer, quite, a, quite an intimate thing here, looking in on someone's quiet time, if you like. Psalm 51 is the prayer David prayed. And I want you to note this because maybe today at the end of this meeting, you need to pray this prayer instead of trying to cover it up and fix it yourself. You need to go to God and realize, Yo, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna hold on to this anymore. I'm gonna come to you. And Psalm 51 says, have mercy on me, Oh God, this is David praying, according to your unfading love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Notice these words, transgression, I crossed a line. And then he says, wash away all my iniquity. Why does he use a different word? Because iniquity is sinfulness. I, I transgress because I have iniquity in me. It's like it runs in my veins. And, and he's admitting here, I'm a sinner. And then he says again, and cleanse me from my sin. Really talking about his failure. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You see, if you don't confess it, it'll haunt you. It'll affect you physically. And God wants you to know that you need to keep hope alive. He hasn't given up on you. You need to keep hope alive. And he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Creating me, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. In other words, I've given up, but now renew my ability to go on. And he says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. In a moment, we're gonna look at this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, David goes to God deals with his shame, deals with his guilt, and he asks God to give him the ability to keep going and to restore hope in his life again. You know, the sad thing today, so many people are recommending that we go to secular people and you know, self-help books and you, know, you shouldn't feel guilty. You should just be confident and positive and look in the mirror and tell yourself, I believe in me and I'm beautiful. And, 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 and it's a lot of psychobabble. In fact, it was fascinating. Some years back, I was reading 1987 in America, this thing got to such a fever pitch that they brought out a product on the market. You could buy it in the supermarket and it was called disposable guilt bags, a brown paper bag and on it was printed this, disposable guilt bags. Place the bag securely over your mouth, take a deep breath and blow all your guilt out. Then dispose of the bag Immediately, a consumer survey said that 2,500 of them sold instantly at 36 rand a pack. Isn't it amazing how we think we can just blow our guilt into a paper bag and throw it into the bin? No, we can't. It haunts us, it affects us physically, and we have to go to God. And when we go to God, that's when true transformation takes place. You know, the world has got its systems, its paper bags. Uh, I was watching a series on Netflix recently. It's called The World's Toughest Prisons. And the host, Raphael, he's been a prisoner in England uh, for 12 years. He was unfairly convicted and he visits these tough prisons. And he talks about the reforms and, and how they try and change you and how they punish you. And in, in Norway, they, they give you freedom because they believe that's the way for you to become. And, and they try all these things. But you know what was interesting? 
He kneels down uh, in, in, a, in a field with a, with a young man in Bruntflay Prison in Cape Town. He was one of the members of the 26ers. He's covered in tattoos. And you know what this young man says to him? When I come out of here, my life's gonna be different because I've accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And when I get out of here, I've heard that in the hospital, they can erase my tattoos and I'm gonna have my 26 erased. You see, only Jesus Christ can do that. He then goes to another prison and it's a very interesting and sometimes gory series, but he goes to Paraguay. And in Paraguay, he goes into the Esperanza prison. And there he meets a man who was a boxer, Richard Moray, and uh, he's known as the Panther. And uh, as he encounters this man and talks to him, he discovers that in the prison, this man came to his senses, he came to Christ, he accepted Christ in his life, and he continued to train in the prison as a boxer. Well, while they're filming the series, there he takes on a challenge, a national challenge, it's televised, and the Panther wins the fight. And his father who abandoned him, who he hasn't seen for four years, comes to the fight and they get reconciled and he wins the championship belt. And it's all not because he was in a prison, but because Jesus Christ came into his life. He confessed his sin, he confessed his guilt, he, he knew that he had failed and now he could start a new life. We can't cover up failure, we can't excuse failure, we can't fix it ourselves. We have to come to the one who God provided knowing we would fail Jesus Christ, our Savior. Number four, the fourth thing we need to do, and we've read it a bit in Psalm 51. We need to believe for God's forgiveness, renewal, and restoration. You see, many of us believe for forgiveness, but then we stop there instead of believing for renewal and restoration. When David prayed, he asked for forgiveness, but then he said, renew a right spirit in me. In other words, take me back to where I was. I don't just want to be forgiven and then live a life of misery. Renew in me a right spirit. And then he prayed for restoration. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He wanted the Holy Spirit back in his life. He wanted to get back on track. He wanted a willing spirit like he had before. And he wanted God to do for him what he had experienced in his life before, not just get forgiveness. You know, we just don't want to be forgiven and overlooked. We wanna get back where we once were, that place of our first love, that place when we were devoted to the Lord, when we gave generously and we worshiped and, and we put the things of God first and our minds were on God, not on ourselves. And David prayed that and we need to believe for that. Don't just believe for forgiveness, but believe for renewal today and believe for restoration. God can give back what you have lost. Dennis Waitley is an author and motivational speaker and I like what he said because we need to do this. He said, failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It is a temporary detour, not a dead end. In other words, we haven't come to the end of ourselves and now we've just been forgiven. We can start again. We've had this detour, but we need to trust God so that we can go beyond. And the Lord restores and blesses. And if he could forgive David and restore him, he can do the same for us. You need to keep hope alive today that you can get back to where you once were and not just live at a lower level and settle for less than God's best. You know, Peter failed and he needed all three. He needed, he needed not only forgiveness, but he needed renewal and he needed restoration. And I love the fact that Jesus provided all three. He uh, knew, by the way, that Peter would fail 
he, he, he saw it ahead of the time. In fact, here's the wonderful thing. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and yet washed his feet. Those hands that washed Judas' feet ended up on the cross the next day. And when Peter failed, Jesus looked at him with those eyes and he said to him, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And those same eyes looked at him on the beach and, and said, Peter, he didn't look with condemnation. He came and not only did he forgive, but he renewed and he restored. And Peter was recommissioned on the beach, forgiven for the failure, renewed in his purpose, and then restored back as the leader of the 12. And in the book of Acts, we see him standing up, leading the group and speaking up as the spokesperson. God can do that in our lives. And you need to keep hope alive today, despite your personal failure, whether it be catastrophic or mild, God has provided in advance for our failure. You know, when Peter failed, it's so wonderful that at the tomb, right at the resurrection, the, the ladies were told, you know, he's risen from the dead. He's not here. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. There was special mention. And you know, today you might feel, you know, God's ignoring me and, and, and what good am I to the Lord? No, he, he, he made special mention. Why? Because he wants to forgive. He wants to renew and he wants to restore. And we need to trust him and, uh, and we need to trust that he cares about our lives. Always remember, Peter didn't come seeking the Lord's forgiveness the Lord sought Peter to forgive him, found him on the beach, renewed him, and restored his life. And he seeks us today. In fact, right now, he's drawing you and saying, come, here I am. These eyes that have seen your failure can see your future, can see your restoration, can see your new beginnings, and don't give up on yourself. You know, maybe today, like many, many people, like myself, you, 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 you may have failed and maybe it's a serious thing. Maybe you're addicted to drugs right now. Maybe no one knows, but you, you're buying cocaine or smoking weed on the side. Someone's dropping it off at your house. You're picking it up on the way to work and your family doesn't even know. You know what? You can go to the Lord and you can confess to him and he wants to restore you and renew you and he wants to, he wants to give you forgiveness and give you a brand new start. You can't cover it up and you can't fix it yourself and you need to keep hope alive that God can change your life. Maybe it's sexual sin, which is a serious thing. It ends up damaging our lives, damaging our homes, our families, damaging our marriages. Maybe you feel dirty today. You've lived a lifestyle that you shouldn't have and you feel ashamed. Come to the Lord. Despite catastrophic failure, he wants to forgive, he wants to renew, and he wants to restore. And you know, often we can't forgive ourselves. That's the problem. Maybe today you're struggling with alcohol dependency. You've become so bound and that you so depend on it to get through your days. Come to him, say, Lord, I admit this. I'm not trying to cover it up or fix it myself. I'm not telling myself I don't have a problem. I'm coming and saying, you know what, Lord? I'm losing hope. Would you help me today? Would you strengthen me? Would you forgive me? Then would you renew me? Then would you restore me? And I'll tell you what, he will do it for you. And, and, and can I just say this? I know what Christians do. They say, you know what? I can't go to God because I should know better. I've been a Christian for a long time. Well, Peter should have known better. He was the leader of the 12 and he'd been with Jesus for three years, but Jesus sought him out and still forgave him, renewed him and restored him. So trust the Lord for that today. You know, your failure might be large, but it's not final. God has a plan for your life and you have to keep hope 
alive. In Psalm 37 and verse 23, it's a great promise to us today. And I want you to take note of this Psalm. In fact, memorize it if you failed miserably right now. He says, the Lord guides people in the way they should go and protects those who please him. If they fall, they will not stay down because the Lord will help them up. So God guides us and protects us and shows us what we should do. But if we should fall, it doesn't say it's over. It says, no, they will not stay down because the Lord will help them up. So you can see we are not God. That's why we fail, but we needn't stay down. We need to keep hope alive and we need to come to the Lord and look to him for forgiveness, renewal, and restoration. It's yours today, keep hope alive. Number five, and I'll get to this quickly. Remember that God is not finished with us yet. You know, it sounds so obvious, but God has not given up on us. He's not finished with us and we can keep coming back to him and he will renew his purpose in our lives. So let me take you back to Psalm 37, which I just read a moment ago in the American Standard Version. And it says this in verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. So in other words, when you fall, even though the, the, the previous translation says you'll get up again, what it's saying is you, you never get to a place where you're utterly given up by God. He will always come to you because he's not finished with you yet. It's a survivable catastrophic failure if you come to him and you say, Lord, I failed, you won't be utterly cast down. You can always recover, even though you think, man, this is the end of my life. Serious drug addiction, serious sexual sin, pornography, being bound by habits, being a prisoner in your life, violence, even murderers in prison were not utterly cast down. There was hope for them and God picked them up and gave them a new beginning. Failure is not final and we must remember that God has not given up on us yet. Think of Judas at that table betraying Jesus. You know, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have washed his feet. But Jesus still took his feet and washed them and gave him an opportunity to turn around and respond. You know, you might feel that you failed so badly, but you know what? The Lord will come again and he will restore you and recommission your life. As I move to a close here, Craig Rochelle in his book called Hope in the Dark talks about the importance of having hope in our lives. And if you fail today, you must keep hope alive. He says, hope is a funny thing. When you truly trust God, you have something to look forward to, a kind of divine anticipation for where he's taking you. You also have a security you can rest in, the certainty that no matter how bad things seem, he's still in control and on your side. I wanna remind you today that no matter how badly you have failed or fallen, and if you, the, 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 your life's been cut down around you, you can come to the Lord. He's not given up on you. He's not finished with you yet. And he wants to restore you and cause you to go forward. And you've gotta keep hope alive and have anticipation that there's a great future ahead of you. You know, many people have recovered from catastrophic failures and gone on to be winners and successful. As I come to a close today, I want to tell you about a famous racing driver, Alex Zanardi. He was a Formula One driver and a kart racing champion. And in 2001, he found himself racing in Lausitzring in Germany. 
In the race, he had a commanding lead. It was 13 laps to go. And he went into the pits to have tires changed and petrol put in. And then as he came out of the pits, he exited onto the track and accelerated, but he hit a patch of oil that was on the circuit and the car spun around, spun onto the fastest part of the circuit down the straight. And there he was, the car cut out and he couldn't do anything. Well, another racing driver came down that track at 300 kilometers per hour, Alex Tagliani, and collided with Alex Zanotti and broke his car in two. The pieces were scattered across the track, and uh, in this accident, Alex Zanotti's legs were sheared off. His legs were in the front part of the car, his body in the back part of the car, and the par paramedics knew this is serious. They knew they had three minutes to get to him or he would die. And they rushed onto the circuit and they began to work on him. And uh, within a few moments, they got him uh, prepared and took him to Berlin in a 37 minute journey in a helicopter. And during that time in the helicopter, his heart stopped repeatedly several times and they had to restart it. By the time they got to the hospital in Berlin, they say he had less than a liter of blood left in his body. One liter of blood, his heart kept stopping, his legs had been shut off, but they put him in an induced coma and they operated on him for eight hours. He finally survived and woke up and was told the bad news that his legs had been shirred off. Well, instead of becoming hysterical, instead of giving up in life, he decided that he would recover and that he would race again. And BMW developed a special car that they specifically designed for him. And from 2004 to 2009, he had five wins in that BMW and four podiums. And then in 2014, he decided to enter the Ironman triathlon. And uh, he came 272nd out of over 2,000 competitors. Pretty good uh, in that race. Well, a year later, he decided to do it again, and he came 167th out of more than 2,500 competitors, improving his time. You see, here's the thing. Alex Zanardi failed. He failed dismally. His life was cut out from under him. His heart stopped repeatedly, and he hardly had any blood left in his body. Yet he stood on his feet again to race again and become a winner. And in our lives, you know, the same thing happens. We make mistakes, catastrophic mistakes. Our lives are cut down from under us. We feel like we've got no energy and strength, like the blood is drained out of us. And we feel like our heart has stopped. Our spiritual lives have come to an end. But you know what? God can set us on our feet again. If we come to Christ and we are honest and we confess and we say, Lord, I failed, but I've got hope that you can restore me. You can renew me. And you can forgive me. Guess what? God will give you a new beginning. He'll give you a new start and you can go again. Don't give up hope. Keep hope alive. Even if you failed and it was your fault, you can have another go and you can become a winner. You know, if today as a believer, you say, that's helped me because I failed and I felt such shame. Yes, you don't need to try and blow it into a paper bag. You can bring it to the Lord just like David did. You can confess and you can tell the Lord how you failed and you can experience his renewal. You can experience him putting you on your feet and that heart of yours beating again, your spiritual heart beating again. If you don't know Jesus today and you know you've failed, you know many times how you've covered it up, you don't know him as your personal savior, I wanna tell you today, he has died to forgive all your failures, 
all your transgressions and all your sins. And you know what? We all fail, no matter how successful we are in business, how much money we have, how much we've achieved, how many degrees we've got, we all fail and we all need a savior. And if today as a Christian, you want to come to God or as a person who's never received Jesus, you want to come today, I wanna pray with you. And as I close this message, give you hope that despite failure, we can be renewed. Come, let's pray together. And you can follow this prayer with me and pray it on the screen. Come, let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you that you saw ahead that we would fail and provided a savior called Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins and changes our lives. Lord Jesus, we come to you today as our Lord and savior. And we thank you that our transgressions, our iniquity and our sin is forgiven. We confess that we have failed, that Lord, many times we have tried to fix it ourselves. We have covered it up. But today we come to you and we say, Lord, we've sinned. Take our sin as far as the east is from the west and forgive us. Not only forgive us, but renew us, change our hearts, and then restore to us again the joy of serving you. For those of us who don't know you, restore to us that relationship which you want us to have with you by joining us with the Father. Father, we thank you today for your son. We thank you for the plan of salvation and we receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.